thread, a singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of the Emerge Network. For more information, log on to EmergeNetwork.org. Thread. Welcome to Thread number 18, and we're coming to you today from northern Thailand, where my family and I live and work as missionaries. Uh, I've got a beautiful view out my back door across rice fields. There's a Buddhist temple on the hill, and we've got the foothills and the Himalayas in the distance there. This, we don't really have seasons here. We've got, um, um, well, wet and dry. Um, but this time of year, sometimes in the morning, you get a couple hours that are pretty nice and cool. Uh, although this week, it hasn't been that way at all. Well, today, we're talking about the power of faith. And uh, that's a huge issue in all of our lives is to be people of faith, to be people who look at at challenges in faith, to be people who are positive, to be around those who speak faith and act out faith. And uh, those are the those are the life changers and the world changers. So if you don't have your Bible with you, run get it. We're going to sit down and go verse by verse through Mark chapter five, verses twenty one through forty three. Okay, we're back. Let's go right into our text. Uh, Now, just to give you a little background, remember that Jesus has gone over to the other side of the lake in a semi-Gentile, half-Jew, half-Gentile area, and there he has planted the mustard seed of the kingdom in the life of the previous demoniac of Gadara that everybody knew who lived up in the, the tombs and cried all day and cut himself. Now, this guy has been delivered and he has begged to become a disciple of Jesus, and Jesus, giving him no um, training at all, has just said, I don't want you to follow me. What I need you to do is go back to your friends and family and tell them what the Lord has done for you. And so he just began to go through that whole region, and later we'll come back and see the results of this man's testimony, how powerful a testimony is. But So now he's gone back to the Jewish side, and he's moved from what uh, missiologists would call a E3 evangelism, and that's evangelizing someone who's got a different worldview, uh, maybe even different language. Uh, they just don't see things the way you do versus someone who actually understands the ways of the Lord. They're just not following it. So that's now he's back in E1, uh, or E0 is actually evangelizing within the church when you've got people that are in church, but they're not followers of Christ. So Jesus is over there on the Jewish side now, and he has an entirely different reception. As soon as he hits the, um, the shores, a multitude gathers. They've missed him, and they've been waiting for his return. And when he comes back, the first person that can push through the crowd is the uh, sort of the pastor of the synagogue in his area, in, uh, in his hometown. So uh, Jairus falls at his feet, he begs him earnestly, and he says in verse 23, My daughter is lying at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. That last part is really important because that's the topic today. We're talking about your faith, your level of faith, how much faith you express, what's in your mind, what's in your heart, and what comes out through your, through your words. 
Now, my interest in faith is both personal and ministerial. Uh, I want to be a good disciple of Jesus, and it's really important to me that I, uh, I lead the, the things that God has me leading, that I can lead those things based on faith. I want people around me to feel motivated. I want them, you know, because if the leader goes, oh, no, all is lost, or starts to always moan about problems and challenges, you know, the whole team comes down. And I don't want to be that guy. So uh, I want to be up. But I also want to be a man of faith for my wife's sake. And for my children's sake, because they live with me, and my uh, my faith state will have a great impact on their life on a daily level. Um, the way I deal with with even challenges of parenting, and and uh, you know times when you're having to have these constant conversations with your teenagers, because I have uh, usually four at a time in the last few years, teenagers. You know, there are all these discussions we're going to have to have, and I'm either going to come off as kind of biting and uh, disapproving, or I can come off as a man of faith that I believe in them. I believe God's going to do the best through them. I, I believe that they are good. And uh, all this kind of goes together. Where's your faith? What kind of faith do you have in your life? And Jairus has this vision of faith. He's got the idea, I'm going to get to Jesus. I'm going to ask him to lay hands on her. So that she can be healed, now, that's just normal, that's just a human plan, but he has already envisioned the outcome. And after I do this, she is going to live. He can tell she's dying. I mean, she is right at the edge of death, and instead of staying there with her, holding her hand, he decides to do something about it. And so he has run to get Jesus, he gets him, you know, this is, uh, this is not going to take long to get Jesus to his house. And his daughter is, you know, gasping for breath. But in his mind, he's got a vision. She will live. Well, Jesus responds to that kind of faith. It, I think it's the she will live part that gets him, gets him moving. And, and you know, he's a, also Jesus is in, uh, um, he's connected with Jewish people and with synagogues and places of, of worshiping the Lord. And he supports this man. So he goes with this man. And on the way, though, there is a, uh, he gets intercepted unintentionally. Uh, you know, and here's Jairus. He's extroverted. He's open. He verbalizes his faith. And now we run into a woman and she's sort of the opposite of this. She's introverted. She's withdrawn. And she thinks about her faith. But they're both faith. Hers is an introverted faith. His is an extroverted faith. But they are both faith. And, and both of these people have a faith that elicits an approval and a smile from the Lord in different ways. Now, as Jesus is moving through the crowd, he's moving quickly. And here is this timid woman. She's in the crowd. She's actually not supposed to be in the crowd because she defiles everyone she touches, uh, according to their law, because she has a hemorrhage of some kind. Um, and she just keeps bleeding. It's like her period won't ever stop. She's always losing blood. And that, you know, that's a concern medically, but in her mind also, it's a concern because it, it makes her unclean. She can't go to parties. She's not supposed to go to, you know, she's not supposed to socialize in that state. And so this has been going on for 12 years. You know, that's a decade of her life. She's been in, in virtual isolation. Her husband, if she was married, is not supposed to have sex with her in that period. So, I mean, this is real, this has changed her life. And, um, 
but she's got a faith of her own. If I can touch him, if I can only touch his clothes, verse 28, I shall be made well. And when Jesus came by, sure enough, she puts out her hand, she touches his garment, and immediately, verse 29, fountain of her blood was dried up. She felt it in her body. She was healed of her affliction. Verse 30, Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out from him, turned around to the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes? Now, this is interesting to me in a couple of ways. One of them is he didn't know who had touched his clothes. So um, while we know that Jesus was fully God, he was also fully man. And in his time on earth, his uh, divine powers were not just something he could pick up and use anytime he wanted. He had to approach even the miraculous in life, I believe. He approached it the same way any man would have to approach it. He exerted his faith. He believed God for miracles himself. He had to be our example, and he had to walk this journey the same way we have to walk the journey. So, you know, here's Christ, and but he's very interested in what has just happened. He knows something's gone on, and there's nothing more to do. Uh, whoever touched him in faith has already received whatever it was they needed to receive. Their faith has drawn it down out of him. He feels something happen inside of him. Uh, but he wants to meet this person. Jesus wants to meet people of faith. Every time he finds a person of faith in his journey upon the earth, he wants to know them. He wants to say something to them because they become his, his, his brothers, his sisters. Those are the people he is in heart, you know, joined to. So he wants to know, I've got to meet this lady. Who, man, whoever did this, somebody has done this. And so he's looking at all the faces, verse 32, and the woman knows, okay, I'm caught. And she comes to him, she tells him her story, and he just wants to say something to her. It's the father speaking through Jesus. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Listen, in a world of selfish doubters and God-haters, people of faith encourage God. People of faith encourage God. You can just think of the frustration of being the parent to the human race that God goes through. Now, here are people of faith, and they matter to him. They boost him. And Jesus, uh, you know, the fellowship of people of faith is really important to him. And so he wants to speak this word to this woman because um, you're going to have to decide in life if you are going to to be a person of faith. And if you are, it's a conscious decision because the world is not a place of faith. It's a place of doubt and negative, negativism. So if you're going to be different from that, now that actually that's what's going to make you a minister and it's what's going to give you a life-changing power toward others. But it's not going to come automatically. It's a conscious decision on a daily basis that you are going to feed your faith and you're going to starve your fears. You're not going to speak them and dwell on them and be negative, but you are going to be somebody that just has life flowing out of them because of faith. And that means you cannot be deterred by circumstance. Uh, you, you have to look at situations as challenges, not as uh, you know the end of it. Uh, I remember as a young pastor, we planted a church in the Philippines and our uh, local government sued us. 
and I had never been sued before. And so I was, uh, I was probably 32 and I went, I was talking to one of the older ladies in the church, not old lady, but in that day, she's probably 50. But to me, that was old. And uh, I was telling her, you know, this crisis that I was in at that moment that we were in as a church. And I said, you know, they're, they're, they're suing us. And she smiled. She stopped for a minute. She smiled. And then she said, oh, now it gets interesting. I mean, she wasn't scared of that at all. She absolutely knew Oh, well, God's going to prevail, but wow, now we've got some drama here. It's not just people having Bible studies and getting saved and being baptized in swimming pools. And wow, this is going to get interesting now. Well, she had faith. You cannot be deterred by circumstance, but secondly, you cannot be discouraged by others. And uh, in Jairus's case, Jesus is very concerned about the second one with him. He doesn't want him to be discouraged by others. Because look at verse 35. While he's still speaking to this woman, someone came from the house, and they say this heartless word, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? I mean, no sympathy, no kindness, just that blunt, you know, eh, word. And just dumps that on him, and Jesus spins it at Jairus, and he says, now hold on here. Verse 36. Do not be afraid, only believe, okay? This is not the time for you to be practical. This is not the time for you to calculate. This is not the time for you to save face. This is not the time for you to be nice to me and say, well, I guess, you know, I don't want to take any more of your time, Lord. Only believe. That's the only place, that's the only thing you have a space for right now. You are at the tipping point of having a change. You're about to have a breakthrough miracle that will change your life and change your family forever. And you are almost there, but it's on you. It's not going to be about me. It's about whether you will maintain your state of faith. Only believe. Don't believe and anything else. You just only believe. And at that point, he actually even filters his own, his own disciples. He says, all right. I only want three people going with me. He chooses the pioneer leader in the group, the first martyr in the group, and the spiritual father within the group. He leaves the other nine disciples behind and says, all right, you guys go with me. He comes to the house of Jairus. When he's in the house, verse 38, the wailers are there, the neighbors are there, and everybody's doing the uh, ceremonial Middle Eastern, screaming and wailing. And uh, he comes in and he says, stop that, stop that. He's minimizing the situation. Why are you making all this commotion and weeping? This child is not dead. She's just asleep. Now, he is fully aware that this, this baby's asleep. I mean, this baby's dead. You know, this little girl is dead upstairs. He's not afraid of that. He's not afraid that maybe God won't heal her. He's not afraid that, you know, he could leave there really embarrassed after a word like that because Jesus himself operates on faith. He, you know, he geared up for it. He, he speaks out boldly to them. Verse 40, they ridiculed him. That did not deter him. He doesn't listen to their ridicule. He made them leave. And you're going to have to control the situation. If you're in a, a critical moment here and you've got doubters and you've got believers, you've got to find a way to get the doubters away. And that's what Jesus does. He says, okay, uh, we need everybody to leave. And so he closes the door and locks it. And they're all outside with their doubt. And the only people inside are the three disciples that he trusts the most. And this family. He walks over to this little girl. 
And he says, Talatha kumi. That's, he's not speaking in tongues. This is Aramaic. It's the language he spoke every day. Little girl, I say to you, get up. You know, one, I see how tender this is, how intimate and how tender. She's in death. She's being held in death. She's beyond this life. And he's speaking through death, calling her to come back to them. But he does it in such a sweet way. But notice that also he does it as a command. And that's part of getting miracles. You don't just pray to God for a miracle. He's already given you the power to do the miracles. You speak to the condition. He spoke to the girl and said, wake up, get up. And immediately, verse 42, the girl rose and she walked. She was 12 years old. The family was overcome with amazement. And this again, uh, you know, my, this is, I've been through this book so many times, but this time I just keep running into this and it never, it never hit me the way it hits me now. The private nature of Christ's miracles. He is not grandstanding. He's not trying to get uh, a reputation as a healer. He's doing this for individuals. He does not care if they tell about it. He doesn't want them to tell about it. He strictly says in verse 43, this is about you guys. You keep it to yourself. Christ loved to visit people in their homes and to minister privately to them. Now, I'm a kind of amateur filmmaker, so uh, I, I, this next picture I love. I want to see, <laughs> see the faces on the other side of this door. If I had a camera, you know, I'd roll it up to the door, and I'd shoot over the shoulder of the little girl uh, as the lock turns, and the, the door flies open, the blinding light of the sun comes through, and then you see the shocked faces of everybody on the outside as this little girl comes walking out. Uh, and then just to make sure that she's not treated like a freak in the culture, that, you know, she's the ghost girl, you know, he says, give her something to eat. You know, she's been asleep. She's been sick. And you guys need to just treat her normal, give her something to eat, prove she's real. And then he leaves. Faith. Faith. You've got faith and I've got faith because God gave us both a measure of faith. And this walk with the Lord will require us to exercise a stubborn, persistent trust in God. That God, you know, let's be done with all this God questioning, okay? Uh, I hate that. When I watch uh, the media's portrayal of people of faith, you know, after every single tragedy, they are shaking their fist at the heavens going, why God, why me? And I think because we've seen that over and over again, we give ourselves permission to be that way. And I hear far too many Christians when they're faced with a challenge or when they have to face loss, uh, going through that exact same speech toward God. You know, I don't understand why God is like, will you just make up your mind what kind of person you're going to be? You be a person of faith. I'm not talking to God like that. I believe in his goodness. I believe in his power. I have seen him work so many times for me. And if I will learn to be a man of faith, my life will be different and I will be a blessing for others. You know, faith, faith floats. It makes things happen for you. It causes the breaks to come your way. So you decide, join me, my dear friends, in putting on faith and feeding our faith every day. Let's let this next year be a year of faith for all of us. 
that's all for now. I want to encourage you to uh, communicate with me. I'm at chuck at quinley.com. That's my email address. You can always check out my blog, quinley.com. And the EmergeNetwork.org. Emerge Network has all kinds of helpful resources, and you'll be blessed if you visit that. So we'll see you next time on Thread. Thread, a singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of the Emerge Network. For more information, log on to EmergeNetwork.org. Thread.